that's an excellent message. Don't give up hope on the 1.5 because China, as its major player, is very active here. Welcome to The Jolt. It's the 15th of December. I'm your host, Kira Taylor. Later, we'll look at what the world's biggest emitter, China, can do to decarbonize. But first, here are the top climate and energy stories from around the world today. The COP28 president will continue his company's record oil and gas investments. Just days after the world agreed to transition away from fossil fuels, Sultan Al-Jaber said the company had to satisfy global demand for fossil fuels, according to The Guardian. Al-Jaber said investment plans were viable with a goal to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. He added that the world continues to need low-carbon, low-cost oil and gas. He also argues that his company's hydrocarbons are lower carbon because they are extracted efficiently and with less leakage than other sources. The US Treasury has proposed guidelines for manufacturers claiming tax credits for making clean energy components. The US is trying to boost its economy and energy security by incentivizing domestic production in the race to net zero. The so-called 45x tax credit, which comes as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, gives credits for products made in the US. Since the Inflation Reduction Act became law, more than $140 billion has been announced for manufacturing clean energy technologies, electric vehicles and batteries. That's almost double the total investment in the previous two years. E-negotiators have agreed on new rules to oblige companies to integrate due diligence into their practices. The law aims to tackle human rights violations and environmental damage in the EU and beyond. It will apply to all large EU and non-EU companies, and smaller companies in sectors including textile manufacturing, agriculture, mineral resources and construction. The law introduces a civil liability regime for damages and financial penalties. It still needs to get the formal approval of EU countries and the European Parliament before it becomes official law. The UK has announced it is backing 11 major projects to produce green hydrogen. It aims to be a global leader in this and wants 10 gigawatts of low carbon hydrogen production capacity by 2030 to help decarbonise its economy. The 11 production projects will be backed by £2 billion of government funding over 15 years. The UK government expects the projects will invest £400 million over the next three years and create 700 jobs. It hopes it will deliver 125 megawatts of new hydrogen for businesses. Indian conglomerate ESSA will invest the equivalent of around $6.6 billion in the energy transition in a new agreement with the western state of Gujarat. The planned investment of 550 billion Indian rupees includes a 1 gigawatt green hydrogen project, expansion of a solar plant, and plans to transform Salaya port into a logistics hub. The initiative aims to boost the energy transition and create over 10,000 jobs. Russian energy company Gazprom's accounts show it earned 45 million euros in 2022 from its gas field in the North Sea, according to the BBC. Gazprom produces gas in a joint venture with German company Wintershall from the Solimanite field, located across UK and Dutch waters. The gas is then brought onshore in the Netherlands. While the BBC says there is no suggestion of illegality, it comes as pressure continues to be put on Russia over its invasion of Ukraine. Gazprom is majority owned by the Russian state, leading to concerns profits go to the Kremlin's war chest. Several Gazprom executives are also under sanctions from the UK government. China is in the grips of a cold wave. It follows a year of erratic weather that scientists have blamed on climate change. Temperatures have already hit record lows and could break more temperature records in the coming days. The weather has already disrupted roads, railways and flights. 
Norway has committed the equivalent of $6.5 billion to a programme boosting Africa's resilience and response to climate shocks. It is the fifth country to pledge money to the African Development Bank Group's programme, joining the UK, Switzerland, US and Canada. And finally, carbon capture company Climeworks has signed a 15-year partnership agreement with management consulting firm Boston Consulting Group. Climeworks uses giant fans to suck carbon out of the atmosphere and store it underground in a process known as direct air capture. The carbon removal purchase totals 80,000 metric tonnes of carbon dioxide, making the consulting group the largest corporate buyer to work with Climeworks. The carbon capture company has also been chosen by the US Department of Energy as a technology partner for three direct air capture hubs in the US. It also has partnerships in Kenya and Canada. That's all for the news today. Let's dive into the story of the moment. China is the world's top emitter of carbon dioxide. In 2022, it accounted for nearly 31% of global emissions. So what's it doing to turn that around? Well, in 2020, Chinese President Xi Jinping declared that China would aim to peak its emissions by 2030 and reach climate neutrality by 2060. Following this, China proposed sector-specific action plans establishing the 1 plus N framework for peaking emissions and reaching carbon neutrality. The carbon peaking and carbon neutrality targets are now the firm basis for China's future development, both for environmental protection, but also for profound economic change. That comes from the preface of a new annual report called the China Energy Transformation Outlook. The report looks at China's progress to reaching net zero and what more it needs to do. There are three scenarios for China to reach net zero emission goals. Carl Santolt, the chief international expert working on the report, explained more. We analysed three scenarios, but clearly we find that the scenario where we have quite ambitious target for reaching the carbon emission, uh, net zero emission uh, goals, the CNS2 as we call it, is the most interesting in our view. The aim of these carbon neutral scenarios is, of course, to look at how China can fulfill the the pledge they made in 2020 to peak carbon emission before 2030 and reach uh, net zero before 2060. We are only looking at the uh, the energy system, so we actually, in this CNS2 scenario, we aim to have a carbon neutral energy system before 2055, which leaves more space for, for other sectors to have the, the last reduction. And what needs to come into place to make that happen? In some ways, it's very simple. Energy efficiency is, is key here for the whole energy chain, so for the whole supply chain. Electrification of the end use sectors is a very important tool for this energy uh, efficiency, but also to switch away from fossil fuel in the end use sector. And having that massive electrification, as we envision, then you also need to decarbonize the uh, supply sector, the, the power sector, by uh, substituting uh, coal with uh, especially wind and solar power. So these uh, three main drivers are are what we envision will drive the pathway and and development forward for China. And when you look at China at the moment compared to that pathway, how big is that difference? It is very big. It's an energy revolution, as China already told us that that they need to go through. But on the other hand, they have already started. We see these 
massive investment in solar power. We see the massive investment in wind. We see uh, uh, growing investments in uh, electrification, for instance, in the transport sector, EVs and so on. We see electric batteries are, are really moving very quickly apart. And so, so the current trend on renewables, on electrification and system changes, this is definitely a first very good start. But clearly there are also a lot of necessary investments, for instance, in grids. There has been a, a massive investment in large grids, large point-to-point -point transmission lines. We see a more comprehensive grid structure where you use interconnectors between provinces to a more flexible interchange of electricity and so on. So grid investments are a major issue coming forward. And of course, also the changing role of coal-fired power plant from, you could say, bulk productors to, to flexibility providers that is also uh, necessary. China often comes under pressure from its international partners to do more to tackle the climate crisis. I ask Carl whether China really is on board. Yeah, definitely. The announcement that Xi Jinping made in September 2020 was a game changer, a real game changer, because there is very much difference between talking about a low-carbon society and talking about a net-zero uh, society. By the end of the day, you cannot use fossil fuels if you want to have a net zero. So that's a game changer. And and what more is that the implementation started immediately after the announcement. China has this uh, one plus N policy, uh, the overall one framework for the, for the overall goals, but then N is actually a massive uh, work with guidelines, with regulatory measures and so on, uh, agreement with different state companies and so on. Right now, very much focusing on how to peak before 2030 in different industries, for instance, steel and, and so on, but clearly also pointing more in the direction of, of a massively reduction. I think this goal has been understood and accepted by all stakeholders. Of course, the details are much more blurred, and, and that's why we try to make these scenarios with, with very clear analysis of, of a detailed system analysis, both for the end use, but definitely also for the supply sector and how to integrate wind and solar, how to use coal and eventually phase out coal. One challenge for China as it decarbonizes is maintaining energy security. That has become a policy priority since 2021. While China is adding more renewables, it's also approving more coal power. This is partly because China doesn't have many gas power plants to provide flexibility to the grid. I spoke to Yentin, lead analyst for carbon markets at the London Stock Exchange Group, about what this means. For China, it's really a transition from a, let's say, fossil-dominant system to a greener of every sectors. But now, with the energy security concerns, which is right, but with past dependency, it could mean, are we overbuilding coal power plants? As simple as that. And then they will become more stranded assets. And also, let's say in three, four years time, when we have let's say, at least 100 gigawatt more coal plants being built, will they make renewables, renewables more disadvantaged? Yen also explained how moving power across the country is a challenge for China. The great constraint is also actually, we should say, that's one of the obstacles for China's decarbonization as well. 
I think there are quite good interconnectors between the provinces, also intra-provinces. That's China's special, is long-distance transmission lines, which has been used effectively to transport surplus renewable power from the far west, from the desert to the east, where you have uh, low centers. I mean, it's almost as as built interconnector from uh, Norway all the way down to Spain or down to Italy. With the European power market, what I work closely with, the difference I observe is that the you exchange power a little with your neighbors. The cross-provincial power transmission is underutilized because there's no a um, fully functioning spot market in province and its, its neighbors. So that has to be established. Very inefficient cross-province power trading makes, let's say, uh, the provinces in the central, they would want to build a lot of coal because they know that on the cold winter day uh, in the afternoon when there's no solar and also probably no wind, it needs coal power generation for its own province. So that's very inefficient when we think of a European context. So I think that's the direction. Uh, that's also one why in the report uh, it's being highlighted as well, uh, the role uh, of speeding up the power market construction uh, will uh, bring more benefits to the decarbonization. Despite the major steps China needs to take to reach carbon neutrality, Kara is positive about the country's transition. In our analysis, China still have a quite high economic growth. And uh, we, we look at the impact of this energy transformation that we see that promotes the sustainable growth. Of course, there will be changes from coal industry to renewable energy industry. But already today, you can see that the job creation for green energy, batteries and so on, EVs, are much higher than job creation in the, in the coal sector. The modernization of the coal mines has already reduced the labor-intensive uh, part of of, of mining. Also, from a socioeconomic point of view, this is this is a favorable transformation. It's very ambitious. It will take time. That's also why we have the peak and 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 then the the phase out. But actually, our most ambitious scenario for the energy sector uh, tells us it's possible way before 2050. That's an excellent message. Don't give up hope on the 1.5 because China, as this major player, is very active here and also can be not only a role model for other countries, but also actually help by having these constantly reduced uh, prices on solar, wind, batteries, EVs, and so on. That's that's really uh, making more affordable for, for the whole world, so to speak. That's all we have time for today. If you want to find out more about the China Energy Transformation Outlook Report, you can find a link to the full document in the show notes. And if you want to find out about the energy transition around the world, head to the Foresight website where you'll find lots of stories on just that. My colleague Sam Morgan will be back on Monday to bring you more climate and energy news. Thanks once again to everyone at Foresight for helping make the job possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the job. Today.